Thanks, Gary. Well, good morning. You are the uh, the ones who got a little bit extra sleep, I guess. <laughs> the time change didn't affect you guys as much. <laughs> Although the first crowd, I have to say, was very lively and responsive, for considering it was like, what, supposed to be actually 8 a.m., according to yesterday's clock? Uh, but yeah, hi, my name is Paul Siemens. I'm a teaching associate pastor over at Northview in Abbotsford. Uh, good to be here. You guys have been so gracious to me so far, and uh, I got to have tea here, and you guys had organic oolong tea. What other church has that? I mean, and it's delicious. It's great. So thank you for having me here. A little of my background, I grew up in Abbotsford, went to MEI, I've been a part of the MB denomination almost my whole life. Uh, grew up going to South Abbotsford Church, got baptized there. We got my, mar- married my wife, who grew up at a MB Church in Abbotsford too. Uh, and uh, then we moved up to Whistler, was part of the MB Church there. Then moved down to Squamish, was part of the the old MB Church there. And then later on, we joined the church plant that's there now. Uh, and that was all. Bef- uh, while we were in Squamish, we really felt the call to full time ministry. And uh, my wife and I sold our house and moved down to Florida to go to seminary. Took all four kids with us. Uh, they ranged, uh, our oldest is Isabel, she's 14, and then Mary-Kate is 13, and then Amelia's 10, and Toby's 8. So we took them all down with us and enjoyed our time down there. It was fantastic. And then uh, when I graduated, I got a call from Northview saying that they had this position that I had applied for and that they thought I would be a, a good a good fit. So back we are here in Abbotsford again, and uh, it's always great to come visit here in Chilliwack, though, because you guys have five guys. Five guys, burgers and fries, which we grew to love in, uh, in the States. It's in every city down there, but up here, it's up here, what, what is it? Why does Chilliwack get all the good stuff first? <laughs> Abbotsford's bigger. Uh-huh, yeah, and you guys get the good hockey arena first. You guys get a good movie theater first, and now you have five guys. Anyway, uh, it's always good to come out and visit, so glad to be here. Turn in your Bibles to John 6. We're continuing on in your, your study in the book of John. John 6, starting in verse 22 today. As you turn there, just to start with a little story, um, imagine a country that's been torn apart by a civil war. And in this country, the, the bad side won, okay? The tyrants won, and the people lost out. So now the people are really under the thumb of the oppressors. They're living in all these different kind of regions um, under various uh, different dictators in these regions. It's really bad. And in this one in particular, there's a bakery, and there's a boy who works in the bakery. He's a good boy, works for his parents. And as he's working in there, uh, one day he looks outside, it's raining, and he sees uh, his love, a girl he's fallen in love with, even though she doesn't know it. And he loves her, and he, is, uh, he sees her sitting out there, and he knows the day she's had. She tried to sell some things during the day. None of them, none of them sold uh, and she's sitting there with no money, unable to buy food. And here he is, a baker, and he wants to give her some bread, but his parents won't let him. 
because he knows we need money too. We're, we're trying to sell things. We need money to buy more ingredients in order to bake more bread and to feed ourselves. So I can't just give this away. So uh, what does he do? He, he purposely burns the bread. So his mom gets mad at him and says, go throw it to the pigs. At least we need the pigs to survive so we can live and eat bacon. And, uh, he, and so he, okay, he takes the bread, goes outside, but instead of throwing it to the pigs, he throws it to the girl who he loves. And she's grateful to receive this gift of bread, but she doesn't understand the full intentions of the giver. And if you don't, if you haven't recognized yet, some of you girls and probably do, yes, this is from the Hunger Games. Uh, particularly this part is in the book. The movie didn't really capture the full feel of it, but this part's in the book. And I, th- I think this story, the, the boy's name is Peta, the girl's name is Katniss, if you don't know. Anyway, we'll get back to a, a, that again a little later on. But uh, this story, I think, captures a little bit of what's going on in our passage today. Uh, we have this crowd who's been with Jesus, witnessing his miracles, been fed by him. And they've accepted the bread and they've loved it, but they really just don't really understand the full intentions of the giver yet. And I think the big idea of the text today is that we need to hunger for the giver over the gifts. We need to hunger for the giver over the gifts. If you're a note taker on your bulletin on the back, you'll see uh, some blanks and um, I'll let you fill those in as we go along. Uh, But first, before we get to the rest of the sermon, I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll pray together. So John 6, 22 to 34, hear now God's holy and inspired word. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, why did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. It's the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, it is good to come as the body of Christ gathered together into your presence to 
So, Lord, worship you. We've worshipped you in song. Now, Lord, we worship you with listening to the preached word. So, Lord, I pray you'd open our ears and our hearts. Use me just to speak your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So, starting in verse 22, it says, On the next day. Well, the next day after what? Well, the previous day was when he fed them. He fed the 5,000, 5,000 men plus women and children. And he only had a few loaves and a few fish, and yet he multiplied it greatly so that they were all able to eat to their fullest. It wasn't, he didn't just micro, give them microscopic bits and say, yeah, I fed all 5,000 of you. No, he, he multiplied it. This is a full-on miracle. Amazing miracle. Multiplying food in the middle of nowhere. Right? It's like, it's like going to, um, or on a, if you were on like a, maybe a Sunday afternoon and Cobb's Bread and your favorite sushi place both had an all-you-can-eat. And you could go there and eat as much as you want and, and they'll feed the whole town on this. This is what it was like. And this is what Jesus did for them and they loved it. Right? And so they wanted, they, they were hungering for him. They the next morning they wake up and they look and they're like, well, where's Jesus? Well, we knew he went up in the mountain to pray, but man, it's breakfast. Maybe, maybe instead of just that plain bread, maybe he'll make a cinnamon bun for me this morning. Right? Like he's, they're, they're waking up, hungering for more of what Jesus did. And they notice, then they realize, oh, he's not coming down. I guess he's left. So where'd he go? Well, let's see. He probably followed his disciples across the lake somehow. So let's get in these boats that are here. Who cares? I don't care whose boat it is. I'm just going to get in and go across. So they get across the lake and they are seeking after Jesus because they're hungering for more of what he offered the day before. They experienced Jesus in a very powerful way, right? This was an amazing experience. Powerful, great, awesome, all those things, right? So I think, um, well, question, have you ever experienced something great? Have you ever experienced something great, maybe not to this extent, but something really that you can think of in your mind? You think of some experience somewhere you've been and you, something amazing happened, happened. It just made you want more. And I think of uh, in 1992, Thanksgiving Day, I woke up that morning and uh, was just hanging around the house, and my brother, who could drive, came to me and, and said, hey, you want to go to the Canucks game tonight? And I said, yeah, that would be great, but we don't have tickets. Eh, we'll just go buy scalper's tickets. These are the days when scalper's tickets, for kids who weren't around then, uh, scalper's tickets would go, I think we paid 30 bucks, and they were face value 25, and the place wasn't sold out. So we, we went into town, and... Uh, we get in there, we get the tickets, we go inside, and we get seated. And the big, the big draw to the Canucks, 1992, was that it was the beginning of Pavel Bure's second year. Rookie of the year the year before, the first rookie of the year the Canucks ever had. Uh, and you go, and you, we're sitting in the seats, and the game starts, and Pavel does his thing. He's skating around fast, deking out, guys. Scores four goals on the day, his first hat-trick of his career. And I, was, I left there just going, wow, 
I can't believe this. I can't believe this guy plays for the Canucks. The greatest guy we had before was Stan Smeal. But now we've got this Russian rocket who can rip around the ice and do anything he wants at will. I mean, nobody can stop this guy. And it left me hungering for more, right? I wanted more of what Pavel could do. And so I started following in the newspaper. I would read his stats. I would find, what did Pavel do last night? Right? Every time, it was, every time he'd play, it was just amazing. And you see, I think we have this longing to be around these great events and the longing to be near greatness, right? We love the feeling we get when our favorite team wins the Super Bowl or the Grey Cup. Uh, we can't say the Stanley Cup. Um, but we love the feeling we get when these teams do great things or when we go to a concert, right? Let me go see Taylor Swift at BC Place and she puts on an amazing show. Or, or for us older folks, maybe it's Billy Joel, right? We go listen to Billy Joel, the piano man, do his thing. And it's, it's great. And you love being at these things. It gives, this, gives you this feeling of excitement, euphoria. You just... You just love being there. So why, do you, why is that? I think it's because the feeling we get, right? Which essentially means it's selfish reasons. It's all about us. I mean, well, like when I watch Pavel play hockey or when I watch a, a great football game or whatever, I... I like it because I get this great feeling when I can cheer for the team that I want to win. And I, I can, it's exciting for me, right? I don't really care. Like when I watched Pavel, I didn't care if I knew him or ever met him. You know, that might be fun and all, but that wasn't my big concern. My biggest concern was the fact that he was healthy and so he could score goals and I could get excited and cheer. And I think we love performance more than we love the people. And so is that right, do you think? So if, if you think about it, a couple of years ago, Robin Williams died. And when he died, I mean, the media went, went all over it. He was on the, his face was on the cover of every magazine, newspapers, um, on the news, on, on TV, on Facebook, all these people putting their posts Oh, Robin Williams, I'm going to miss him so much. Really? Are you going to miss him? Or are you going to miss the fact that you aren't going to get to see the genie from Aladdin again? Or there's not going to be a sequel to Mrs. Doubtfire? I think this is what it is. We follow the performance more than we follow the people. I think that's what the crowd is doing in this passage. They're following a spectacle, not the Savior. They're following what he does, not who he is. And maybe that even explains who you are today. Maybe you're following Jesus just for what he does and not for who he is. Or maybe you know somebody like that. Right? And you talk to them and you're like, you're like oh, come on, grow up in your faith. You answer with impatience. I know that tends to be how I am, but... Look at Jesus. What does Jesus do? He, he allows them to explore this hunger that they have. So that's the second point. First point was feeling the hunger. Second point is exploring the hunger. If we get into verse 25, when the crowd gets to him, they ask him, what are you doing over here? They get to Capernaum. 
Jesus is already there in the synagogue, and they're like, what are you doing here? When did you get here? And the, the whole the feeling behind the question is, why in the world did you leave us? We were enjoying you over there. You were feeding us. We were having a great time. We, we want to make you king, Jesus. But you left us. What in the world? Why would you come over here? And Jesus still knows their intentions. He knows why they're following him. They even call him rabbi. They don't yet call him Lord. And Jesus' reply shows that he knows their intentions. Jesus knows the kind of hunger they have. The kind of hunger they have is merely for the physical. Physical bread, physical alleviation from the suffering under the Roman oppression. They just want their physical lives to be good. They want Israel restored so life is comfortable again. So life is good again. But Jesus knows they're their needs are actually far more than that. Their needs are deeply spiritual. In verse 27, he says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Notice the difference between these two kinds of food Jesus mentions. There's the physical food that will perish Now, right, we all know this, when we buy deli meat, we have what, three, four, maybe five days tops before it starts to stink? Our milk cartons all have an expiry date. Our bread goes stale. Gets moldy. Right? Why would we work for that? And don't, please don't over-spiritualize this. Jesus isn't saying that physical is bad. He's already shown that it's good by providing for their needs and by healing the sick and things like this. He knows that having physical well-being is a good thing. But he is wondering why that's your ultimate goal. Why is that your ultimate goal, your ultimate desire? This goes for all the physical stuff we strive for in our lives. We strive for food. We strive for clothing. We strive for trinkets that we keep on the shelf. We strive for stuffed animals. My kids do. The reason I bring that up is because there's a story behind it. Um, A week ago, we went to a storage unit that we've been renting. And uh, when we, okay, so we moved down to Florida, what, four, almost four years ago now, to go, so I go to seminary, Reformed Theological Seminary in Florida. It's great. Love it. Anyway, we were there for three years, we moved back last summer, and we moved into a place that's really small, and we weren't able to bring everything into their, in, in there with us. And we were like, what are we going to get rid of? What are we going to do? And it was such a rush and everything. Let's just rent a place. Let's rent a storage unit, put it in there, and uh, we, won't work, we won't think about it right now. So we did that. And so last week, uh, we had a weekend. We were like, okay, we've got to get rid of this stuff that we have. There's a lot of stuff we don't even need anymore, we don't want anymore, the kids don't play with these toys anymore. Let's take it to MCC or whoever, and give it away, and not worry about it. So we went to the unit, went with my wife and my brother-in-law, and we both opened it up, and we're, we're pulling the stuff out, putting it in a trailer to take away, and I pull this one box down and put it, and it's a box of stuffed animals, and I put it on the ground, and it falls over, and one stuffed animal rolls, rolls out, and so I just go to pick it up, and I pick it up, and I'm like, this stuffed animal's really warm. 
Like, it's been sitting beside a body kind of warm. Almost like it was beside a heater. I'm like, that's just weird. So I put it in a box, and I walked out, and I said to my wife, I think there might be something living in that box. (laughs) And uh, she's like, what, really? And I said, yeah. So she walks in, and she comes running out. I saw it, I saw it. It's a rat. Not even just a mouse. This is a rat. And so the three of us are standing back going, what are we going to do with this thing? What are we going to do? Well, how can we pull it out? I don't want to... I don't want to touch it. I don't want it to jump on me. I don't want to whatever. <laughs> and so we're standing there going, what do we do? And so my brother-in-law and I, we did the right thing, and we let Carla take it out. <laughs> so she pulls it out, and she grabs one of the flaps of the box and drags it out into the driveway, and the rat had stayed inside. And okay, so I was like, okay, now what? Well, We've got to get it out of here. So we close up the unit, the, our van, make sure it can't get into anything. And I dump the box over, pull the box off, and the stuffed animals are rolling around, and the rat takes off. And I start chasing this thing, and I'm like, I want to kill this thing. So I grab the nearest thing I can find, which is a katami bar. Do you know what a katami There it is. It's an absolutely useless piece of exercise equipment. <laughs> and it's even useless for killing rats. It's got this bend, and you swing, and you can't predict where it's going to go. And ah, Useless. So the rat runs away into the weeds, and we're like, okay, now what are we going to do? So we look at these stuffed animals, and they're annihilated. They are just, I mean, my daughter, when she was little, she got this little pink poodle, a Webkins, named Pink Pink. And Pink Pink was no more. You see Pink Pink's fur everywhere, but she was destroyed. And so... And it was okay. She had, it's, she had gotten over it. Um, she hadn't even played with Pink Pink for a long time, so it was okay. But the thing is, here we are in this storage unit full of junk that we moved. So, like, we bought it who knows how long ago. We had it in Florida. We probably paid to move it there. And then we pay to move it back here. And we pay to store it. And then we pull it off the shelf, and it's destroyed. So why do we work for this stuff? Why do we yearn for this stuff that gets destroyed? When we were going through this, it, it just made me, last week, it made me think of Matthew 6, 19 to 21. And the NIV puts it this way. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I really think that's what Jesus is trying to say to the crowd here in John 6. He's saying, don't don't yearn for the physical stuff. You have a far greater need. Put your heart towards those things. Instead, yearn for the food that leads to eternal life. It's the bread of of life that the Son of Man will give to you. You don't have to work for it. It's given to you. The bread that leads to eternal life is given to us. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. It's given to you by who? 
by the Son of Man, Jesus Christ. The one whom God has set his seal on. His seal, if you think you've seen movies, you've read stories of back in the days of, of kings, and uh, you think of when they would send a letter with a, a messenger, they would put wax on it with a stamp that was the king's seal. And this is what's on Jesus. Jesus is the one bringing this message. He's the one who's the bread of life. He's the one bringing and offering so much more than the physical and the crowd asks in verse 28, okay then, what, what are the works of God that we have to do? See, they still think that they have to work for it. Even though Jesus just said, the Son of Man will give it to you. But Jesus clears it up again, showing patience, right? Jesus says, believe in the one whom God has sent. And back in chapter 5, he said, that's me, that's That's Jesus. He's the one who's been sent. He's the one who's been sent from heaven. He is the bread from heaven. And it's himself. He's offering a relationship with himself that will last forever. It won't fade. It won't spoil. It won't go stale. It will last forever, unlike anything else. Jesus is showing them how he is the true satisfaction for for their hunger. So point three we go to, starting verse 30, satisfying the hunger. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now if I was Jesus, and I had just been asked that by this crowd... I would just, are you, are you, for, are you for real? For, for, really, seriously, this is your question for me. Because you, your, your, your ancestors were fed manna in the wilderness. Yeah, what did I give you yesterday? Yeah, bread and fish, right? Yeah, well, yeah, Jesus, I know, but that's, we want more. You have to do better than Moses did. Okay, well, you guys, most of you were following me even before we went to the other side of the lake. Most of you saw me heal all these people even before we went. Yeah, Jesus, nah, we want, we want more. You've got to show us more, buddy. Okay, well, listen, I know you guys were sleeping last night, but while you were sleeping, I walked on water. And I stopped a storm that was threatening to kill my disciples. Just ask them. They're right here. You know, and what does, what does the Old Testament say about water? Who has control over the waters? Only God. Who can tread on the waters as Job has written? Only God. Yeah, Jesus. Give us more. We want more of the spectacle. We want more of the show because, come on, it's exciting. See, they're wanting more miracles. They want full bellies, fun miracles, and they want freedom from the Romans. And they're asking them for more of this. More, 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 Jesus. Give us more. But you see, the thing is, miracles will never suffice. As many miracles as you can see in life will never suffice. 
I've heard many people say, particularly those with a tendency towards the charismatic side of things, oh, you know, if the problem in the church today is that there's not enough miracles. We don't have enough tongue speaking. We don't have enough power encounters at the front. We don't have enough healings. It's like, really, is that the problem? Is it really the problem? Look at John 6, verse 66. After this, it says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus has been performing all these miracles, and he gives them a teaching of what it means to follow him. And then they can't handle it. They can't handle the truth. And they turn and walk away from the man who does more miracles than anyone else in Scripture, raises the dead at will, heals people at will, provides food whenever he feels like it. Yeah, Jesus, those miracles aren't enough. So, in the church today, is miracle, a lack of miracles the problem? No. We've got a heart problem. crowd had a heart problem, and we tend to have a heart problem. I mean, if Jesus himself can't convince people to keep following him with his miracles, can we? Really? The problem lies in our hearts. See, our hunger, this hunger that we have is for the gifts. We tend to hunger for the gifts over the giver. We tend to hunger for what Christ offers the gifts he gives, the things he does, rather than hungering for him. So question, what really satisfies our hunger? If Jesus could provide an unlimited amount of Snickers bars, would that really satisfy? No. Only Jesus can really satisfy Look in verse 32 to 33. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. There it is, Jesus' own words. The bread of life is him. He's the one who God the Father has sent. The one who's bringing life to the world is Jesus. He's the bread that we need to hunger for. We need to long for. He himself is the bread, not his works, but he himself. God's son, son of man, the bread of God is Christ. So you may be wondering, okay, You're thinking about this. Now, I think about this too, right? I think about the things I hunger for in my life, and often it's not him. It's other things. Anything can become an idol, as I was talking between services with somebody, right? Anything that we long for can become an idol. Desiring to preach a good sermon can become an idol. So the question is, I think a good question for for us to ask ourselves is, do we actually love Jesus. Do we actually love him? Not just what he does, not just the positive answers we get to our prayers, not just his miracles, not just the idea of heaven, but do we actually love him? 
If God pulled a job on you today and took everything away, and your house got destroyed, and all your kids died, and you lost everything you had, would Jesus be enough? Would you still love him? See, I know some people right now whose life has kind of fallen apart. They've lost a whole bunch of stuff in life, illness, money, all this. Everything is kind of falling apart in their lives, and they've actually started to turn and walk away. Now, I know that my, my scripture tells me, John 10, that if they're called by God and if they're a part of his flock, that they will return and that this is just a certain season they're going through. And we do. We go through things like that. And God is faithful and he calls us back and he preserves the saints. But still, if, if God pulled a job on you, would you still love him? John Piper writes this in his book, God is the Gospel. Uh, The critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or natural disasters, could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ were not there? Could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ were not there? What's your hunger for? Is your hunger for the giver or is your hunger for the gifts? A Hindu lady recently uh, asked my friend to come to her house and pray for her. So she's, lit- she's been the Hindu religion her whole life. Her ancestors have been Hindus. And he's like, yeah, he's like, this is going to be an opportunity to share the gospel. So, yeah, I'm happy to go pray with her. So he goes over to her house, and they sit down and talk. He's sharing who Jesus is and the gospel with her. And yet she says to him, you know, oh, that's, a nice, that's nice and all, but she's like, I just want you to ask your Jesus if he'll take away my cancer. Ask your Jesus if he'll take away my cancer. Because my ancestors see these gods up on my shelf. My ancestors have worshipped them, and I worship them, and I'm not going to stop. See, I don't really want Jesus, but I do want him to take away my cancer. So can you ask him to do that for me? You see, she wanted what Jesus offers, but she didn't want Jesus. And I think that goes for a lot of people. You could ask anybody you meet out on the street, like, like, you want to go to heaven? Well, if there is one, sure. Do you think you'll get there? Yeah, I've been a good person. You can ask people that within the church. Yeah, I've been a good person. That's all I need to be. I've loved my wife. I've taken good care of my kids. Yeah, sure, I'll go to heaven. The problem is that's not what the scriptures teach us. We can't get to heaven on our own merit. Yes, everybody wants to get there. Everybody wants what Jesus offers. But only Christians want Jesus. Whoever goes all in for Jesus 
is who gets to heaven, right? Like, whoever says, Jesus, I trust in you. I want you to be my life. I want my life to be in you, Jesus. I want you to cover me with your righteousness because I'm unrighteous. I know I can't do it. That's the gospel. It's coming to the end of ourselves, repenting of our sin and seeking out Christ to, who has lived the perfect life for us and for him to place that righteousness on us as he takes our sin away. And so what does it look like to love him? Well, we, we take advantage and we avail ourselves to his means of grace. We come to church, we gather with believers, we get into small groups, we pray together, we, we spend time alone praying to Jesus like he spent time alone praying to the Father. We spend uh, time serving those in need outside, sharing the gospel, feeding the poor, sharing with them about, yes, you have a physical hunger, but guess what? There's also a spiritual hunger you have. Sharing with our coworkers. When we do all of these things, when we are loving God and loving our neighbors, that's what Jesus says are the two greatest commandments. So salvation is a gift from Christ. It's nothing that we can work to earn ourselves, but it's something that he gives us. So, when we think about our hunger, what are we hungering for? At the end of the Hunger Games, at the end of the movie, if you watch it, um, Katniss eventually realizes what Peter was actually offering. It wasn't just Fred bread for her, for her hunger. It was something much more. He was offering her himself. And in the end, you see them in a field together with children in peace. They they went through all of this garbage and terrible things and catastrophe after catastrophe, but then they get to the end and they have a life of, of peace. And it's like this happily ever after kind of a thing. And we have a desire for that, right? We have a desire for that happily ever after. And that happily ever after only happens with Jesus. This picture in Hunger Games is just a simple shadow of what Christ offers. When he will return, when he offers us his whole self, which he's doing now. But we only have a taste of it now and we can get all of it when he returns, when he makes all things new, when he gets rid of Satan, sin, and death forever when we're freed from not only the penalty of sin, but the presence and the power of sin as well. That's when we'll have peace with him. So when you hunger for Jesus, that's what you're promised. So let's hunger for the giver over his gifts. Let's love Jesus for who he is and You know what? He will do exactly what the crowd asks for in the last verse in our passage today. He will give us this bread forever. Let's pray. Father, you are good and holy and true, and your word is beautiful, Lord. We look at a passage like this, and we can see what you're calling us to. You're calling us, Lord, to love you. 
not to merely love the things that you give us. We enjoy the gifts, Father. We do, and they are good, and we thank you for them. But, Lord, give us a hunger for you. Holy Spirit, move us towards worship of Jesus that goes throughout our days, throughout our workplaces, in our families, uh, in our relationships. Lead us to more repentance. Lead us to love you and to hope and long for that day when you will return and make all things new and we will be with you forever. We pray for that now. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand with me this morning. If you're here this morning and you feel like you need prayer, there are prayer partners placed throughout the building, so please do go find someone. Let's sing together. Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom with the Spirit of the Lord is there is
Yeah.